0: This is Venice, captivating, enchanting Venice, the world's most beautiful city, an inviting place for lovers. Here is one man who should know, for this is his home, and here at a cafe in the Piazza San Marco, his it all began. That one completely unforgettable summertime we have all known, this was theirs, Jane's and his, and it started as casually as this. I don't know what your experience has been with American tourists. My experience has been that the tourists have more experience than I Jane arrived with three pieces of luggage and a heart full of dreams how naive and unrealistic they were. But when she understood that life can never be quite like you dream it, their real happiness began. Why did you do that? Why? There are others whose lives touched theirs, who will always remember that summertime in Venice. Signora Fiorini, who liked some of her guests better than others. Eddie Yeager, the American artist with an eye for beautiful women. Among them, his wife, Phil, Little Mauro. He could worm the gold out of any tourist's
1: tooth. Oscar lady?
0: He made one mistake with Jane. He told her a lie. It almost ended their romance before it began. Perhaps it should have. But a lady was not so angry. You do that very well. <laughs>
2: Hello, and welcome to the Film and Water Podcast. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and our old pal, Sarah Jane, is back. Hi, Sarah. Hello. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm very thrilled to have you back on the show. We had a lot of fun the last time talking about a, a shallow horror movie, but now we're here to talk about something very, very different. <laughs> uh, this is... Uh, David Lean's 1955 film, Summertime, starring Katharine Hepburn. Unbelievably, this is after 145 episodes of the show. This is the first Katharine Hepburn movie I've gotten to. How Um, dare you? I know. I feel ashamed. I I think I've covered two Aaron Gray movies to this point, but uh, zero Katharine Hepburn. (laughs) Um, This is a movie that I saw a bunch of years ago, and I really fell in love with it. And I don't know... Anyone else that's seen it, until just a couple of weeks ago, where you mentioned it on Twitter, how much you liked it, and I got so excited, I was like, oh, somebody else has seen that movie. Um, For anyone who isn't familiar with it, like I said, it's from 1955, it's directed by David Lean, yes, the guy that did The Bridge on the River Kwai, and Lawrence of Arabia, he called this film his favorite among all of his films, imagine the the implications of that statement from someone who made... Lawrence of Arabia. Um, that's like I said, that's it sort of, amazing. Yeah, it stars Catherine Hepburn. She plays Jane Hudson, a single middle-aged secretary from Akron, Ohio, who has saved up for years to visit Venice. And now she is here during her summer vacation. On the train ride into the city, she is giddy with anticipation over finally getting to see this magical city. At her hotel, she befriends a retired American couple named the McElhenney's, the owner of the hotel, a widow named Signora F- Finnerini, and a younger couple, the Jaegers. Darren McGavin and Mary Alden. <laughs> while, Darren McGavin, the dad from Christmas stories in this movie. While enjoying the sights and sounds Venice has to offer and befriending a young street urchin named Mauro, Jane finds herself crushingly lonely. One night while sitting at an outside cafe, she catches the eye of Renato De Rossi, played by Rosanna Brazzi, who she runs into again the next day when she stops in an antique store to buy a red goblet. At this point, Jane and Renato begin a relationship, but problems arise when she learns that Renato has a wife and children. So, Sarah, like, what's your history with this movie? When did you first see this? I saw it
1: about maybe a year or two ago. It was on um, Filmstruck. And I think my husband was the one that was like, "Oh, we should watch this. And I was like, oh, all right, you know. <laughs> I see David Lean, I thought 1955. I mean, I like uh, Hepburn, but, you know, it was just... I was reluctant, but I was like, "All right." And oh my God, I fell in love with it. I cried. It was just it was so this made me feel so good. And then um, I decided I wrote about it for um, my Overlooked and Underseen column because I thought more people need to see this. And then um, I just felt like watching it again um, a couple of weeks ago, which is when you saw me tweet about it again.
2: Yeah, it is, you know, there, there are so many movies that, that you you know, you like for different reasons. You like them for the plot, you like them for the characters, you like them for the action set pieces, you like them because they're scary. Uh, and then there's this whole other subset of movies that, to me, put you in a very specific place where you, you feel like you are there. And this movie does that. I've never been to Venice. Uh, have you ever been there? I haven't, but somebody
1: just recently went there, and they told me that David Lean captures the city, even now the city, is exactly like the movie is.
2: There you go. Yeah, I mean, I so, feel like the way that he shot it, I feel like I could navigate my way around Venice from this movie. It, it, it just gives me... I, I mean, the movie's called Summertime, and in, in the, the U.K. it was called Summer Madness. Uh, thank God they didn't go with that title. I love the title summertime. It just, to me, I, I've mentioned it on other podcasts, it's my favorite time of year, and to me this this film just feels like summertime. I mean, there's all these scenes of Catherine Hepburn having dinner at like one of these outside cafes, and it feels like it's, you know, it's nine o'clock at night, but it's still light out, and everybody mm-hmm. the, the streets are bustling, people are going by in their little Vespas and things like that. It just completely sets you in this place, and I love the opening scenes of her on the train. She is... I don't know if you've ever been as excited to do anything as Catherine Hepburn is to go to Venice. I don't know if anyone has been ever as excited as Catherine Hepburn. I mean, she is bursting at the seams to get to Venice. And it's so charming as you just see glimpses of the water Outside the train window, because it looks like the train is like floating on the water. Mm-hmm. It's, she, I mean, she's like—I uh, think she was probably about fifty when she made this movie, and yet she, she's giddy like a little girl, and it's very charming. She's so—I was talking to my husband about
1: this um, the other day. She's just so natural. I mean, I believe her. I mean, I don't want to dismiss her acting ability, but I just believe that she was Jane Hudson, that she's been saving all of her life. You know, to me, she's like a spinster. She's never been with anyone. That This is my backstory for her. I don't know if this is true. But, you know, and so she has, this is her once-in-a-lifetime trip. She's going to do it, and she, like I said, she's giddy for it. And so you, it's in her face. It's all right
2: there. In her just in her one look as she sees that she's coming into the city. I love the hotel that she stays at. I said run by uh, run by uh, Signora Fiorini, where it's like she's got this beautiful porch that looks out over the hotel. That that shot where she introduces Mm -hmm. Catherine Hepburn. She's like basically this is your view. And it's the view of the ocean, and it's just oh my god, it's so stunning. <laughs> and and also, I mean, I love the uh, the, the that we read, which are the sort of prototypical ugly Americans yes. uh, that she runs into. Because at one point, the the the, the husband uses the phrase like "wap food," talking uh-huh. about the Italian food. like oh good lord, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, but I mean, and she but she wants to just soak up everything. But I love how like I feel like she's putting. We find out, I think, that she's putting pressure on herself, and I, I think found this to be very real, real to life. She saved up her whole life for this, so it's like she has got to squeeze every moment. This has to be the greatest trip of her life, right. or it's really going to be disappointing. And of course, you can't put pressure on yourself like that. You have to just be there and enjoy the trip for what it is. You can't make it the best trip of your life because you're you're just you're putting way too much pressure on yourself and the and the destination for it to be this amazing experience
1: I also thought she was an amazing character that she in 1955 this character is taking a trip to Europe by herself I mean to me that's amazing I don't think women did that you know unaccompanied without a chaperone or you know their husband but she did because she I guess she had a mind of her own and she wanted to see Venice damn it well if you're ever going to have
2: you know have a character that is someone who is uh, you know a mind of her own and is an independent person it's Catherine Hepburn Right. You know, I mean, Catherine, she had not done a movie for three years before this, and she was kind of in a weird fallow point. A couple of years after this, she would be in a Bob Hope comedy, for Pete's sakes. I mean, that's just a <laughs> waste of, and no, no offense to Bob Hope fans, but I mean, <laughs> Catherine Hepburn in a Bob Hope comedy in mid-1950s is, is a real waste of material to <laughs> have Catherine Hepburn doing things like that.
1: I'm
2: with um, I, yeah, I mean, I again, I love all the other characters. we I mean, I mean, I mentioned Darren McGavin in this movie, and I love that Darren McGavin. Of course, most people of our, of our age or, or you know younger or slightly older know him as either the Night Stalker yep. or uh, the Dad from Christmas Story. And here he's this kind of Lothario. He's a he's an artist, and he's always walking around with no shirt on. And <laughs> we find out that he's actually cheating on his wife, and he's this kind of like cock of the walk guy. And it's like. It took me a while to figure out, wait, that's the same guy. That's that's still Darren McGaffin. He's very against type in this one. Yeah, I really, I like him in this. I mean, and I love that we learn pretty quickly how, like, lonely Jane gets. Like, she she sees as everybody starts pairing off. There's a, a really sad scene where she almost kind of invites herself to dinner with the Jaegers and they have to kind of tell her, well, we're going to dinner with another couple. And they kind of have to, like, suggest to her, you're, you're sort of the fifth wheel. And she gets it. And they I feel think, bad. But it's, think, so it's... Mrs. Yeager was kind of...
1: She was willing, but uh, uh, Darren McGavin was like, no. You yeah, know?
2: No, he would put we a,
1: a crimp in his, uh, in his style.
2: What do you think of uh, Rosanna Brazzi as the as the uh, as Renato the uh, you know her ostensible love interest in this movie? I, first of all, I love his introduction because we see if you, unless you know who he is, and I'm not that familiar with him um, before this, he was in South Pacific and he's in the Italian job, and he's a big international actor, but when I first saw summertime, I just wasn't that familiar with him. We see him in the background just sitting there and he's reading a paper or whatever as she's having uh, dinner. And then he gets a glimpse of her ankle,
1: Mm -hmm. and that
2: that sends him into this sort of, like, spasm of sexual attraction. It's a very interesting scene. Yes. I'm not – I wasn't familiar with him, um,
1: at least by sight anyway, before this movie. I liked him. I thought he was good. He he did seem a little bit – he didn't have that much sex appeal to me, but I can see why Jane was, you know – That could be the first attention that she's ever had from a man, let
2: alone one you know as attractive as him. So I get it. Do you get the sense? You you mentioned you have your backstory in your mind for him. Do you get the sense (laughs) that she is that she is like quite literally like a spinster, like she's a fifty-year-old virgin? Do you do you you think it that far?
1: Yes, that's in, in. in my, for me, yes, that's how I see her. That when they, um, spoiler, whoa, when they go upstairs together into his apartment, um, I think it was his apartment, or maybe it was her place, I can't remember now. Uh, yes, that was, to me, that was her first time. Because even when she kissed him, she was, um, when they were kissing for the first time um, in the alleyway, kind of a thing, I thought, was, was that her first kiss? Because she didn't seem all, you know, Super experienced and seem to be taken off guard a little bit by it.
2: She does seem very girlish, and for that, for Katherine Hepburn uh, at her age to appear girlish, I mean, there's a scene where after she learns that he's got a family and she's, short it, she's horrified by that, she also, like, blurts out that she loves him right at yeah. the moment where she's trying to give him the brush off. It's like if you're, to, if you're trying to dissuade a guy, telling him that you love him is probably not the right move to make. Uh, <laughs> Hepburn. I think at some point she just realized
1: that, you know, I, I think she knew it wasn't really going to go anywhere, but she was going to take her chance to, you know, at least experience whatever love that it was that she was going to get while she was there. But I think he genuinely cared for her. I don't think he was trying to pull some, you know some scam on her, like, oh, I'm going to lay this American woman, ha, 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 kind of thing. I think he really cared for her.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. Uh, I love that she wears, like, she gets, like, the fancy outfit, and she wears, like, the red, she has those fancy red shoes. Like, yes. She's, she's trying to sort of, like, dress herself up, uh, as I guess she imagines what she thinks has to do. And there's even a scene, of course, uh, kind of a hoary cliché, but, I mean, there's literally a scene of fireworks, that are taking place outside them consummating their relationship for the first time.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, at
2: least you
1: know, I guess it was 1955, but, um, you know, you knew what was happening.
2: Yeah. What do you make of the relationship? I mean, you said you don't think he's pulling a scam on her, and I don't either, because he cops to it pretty quickly that he has a a wife and children. He just has obviously a more, shall we say, European view of of marital fidelity. Yeah. Uh, You you get the sense that she is she is, because she's clearly lonely at the beginning of the movie, and I mean, to me, that's the, it took me a couple times of watching this movie to kind of get that, where it's like, that's her arc, is that in the beginning scenes, she's lonely, and the, the one scene where she's sitting at the bank of uh, this the, the water, and she just looks like she's going to cry, and it's really heartbreaking, and then by the end of this movie, spoiler alert, like, she's still alone, but I don't get the sense that she's lonely, like, she's, she's taken the opportunity that Venice has presented for her that she probably would not have taken if she was at home. And she's going to go home a different, more well-rounded person, even though the relationship itself isn't meant to last.
1: Right. And I, I, I like that she, um, I mean, she was brave enough, well, you know, first she was brave enough to go on her own, but she was brave enough to realize that the relationship was not really going to go anywhere. And rather than just stay there and, you know, wait for however many months or years... I don't know how long the relationship would have lasted. She just wanted it to be perfect, and it was. And she, you know, to me, it was a brave decision of her to go home by herself. You know, she realized that she, like I said, she just wanted the perfect relationship, and she had it, and it wasn't going to get any better than that. So, you know, you may as well just leave. I don't think most women, or
2: uh, not just women, but I'm not sure a lot of people would do that. He's got a line in this movie where he talks about uh, that that Americans don't kind of go for the gusto. And the phrase he uses is, go ahead and eat the ravioli, which <laughs> apparently censors were not too happy about because they found that a little too explicit for, you know, for, for, for what obviously the, the connotation is meant to be. I think it's very funny <laughs> that, I mean— it's, I, I find it somewhat, I don't know, somewhat, I actually find it very charming that, again, you're talking about it is 1955, that they can't be too explicit. There's something to me that's charming about the the reserve of, okay, yes, we are... Going to convey that these two, once they decide to consummate their relationship, have a pretty hot and heavy affair. And we see there's scenes of them on a boat and they're having a great time. There's a, I was, I've been reading a bunch of online reviews and somebody caught one. There's a scene, there's a scene of them laying in a in a field and you see like a mm-hmm. building in the background and it looks like the biggest phallic tower you could have imagined <laughs> to find in, in Venice. I completely missed that. The first three times I've seen this movie, I was like, oh my god, yeah, there it is, right there. I mean, he's this <laughs> Lothario kind of guy, but I mean it it looks beautiful. I should mention this movie was shot by uh, Jack Hildyard, who won an Oscar for shooting Bridge on the River Kwai for David Lean. And he also shot Suddenly Last Summer with Katherine Hepburn. And he did a a great movie called The Sundowners with Robert Mitchum and Deborah Carr. So this guy knew what he was doing. And that's, it makes, again, it it puts you so much in the in this place. And that's one, again, even though I can't necessarily relate to the fact of these two slightly older people, although I shouldn't call them older, I'm getting to that age pretty rapidly (laughs) of where they are here. But again, it just puts you in that, in that, in that place. And that's hard to do. You know what I mean? I don't know. Have you seen a lot of movies where you, you feel like it does that? I, I can only think of a handful where I'm like, I feel like I could, I'm living in this physical space that this movie's presenting me.
1: Well, when I was writing down notes when I was watching the movie, I actually wrote down that Venice is a character itself. It's important as everybody else. I don't know if I would have felt the same if it was in a different place. Not ones that actually take place on Earth. You know what I mean? <laughs> not like a science right. fiction or something. But yeah, no, I can't think of anything right
2: now. One of the things I, I thought about when watching this movie is in the, in the beginning, like in like in the first twenty or so minutes, she is behind um, a video camera the whole, not a video camera, but like a film <laughs> yeah. camera the whole time, <laughs> right. and all she's doing is taking film. Which, of course, if you spent your whole life saving up for this trip to to Venice, you want to record every bit of it. But I. And I don't know, again, I don't know, Sarah, if you've experienced this. I haven't traveled a whole lot, but I have been on trips with people who spend the whole time just filming it or taking pictures. And I always kind of feel a little like, well, you're not actually experiencing it. You're, you're worried about saving it for posterity as opposed to just living in the moment and experiencing the trip. Now, maybe I'll regret that as I get older and I don't have lots of footage of trips that I've taken, but I, it's I I th- I find it interesting that after a short while she gives all that up. Like she, yeah. you don't see the camera again. It's in like the first 20 minutes and then you basically never see her use it again.
1: Yeah, no, cuz she's living it as opposed to just, you know, being an observer. She's actually in it. Those are like the people that um you see them at concert and they're watching the concert through their phone while they're filming it. It's like how are you even enjoying that? Right. I've been right. to Eng- I've been to England several times and I always take a camera with me, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not attached to my eye where I don't put it down. Right, so I have, right. you know, I don't think I've ever taken a video when I've traveled over there. So, you know, I have tons of pictures of that time. And sometimes that's better because, you know, then it evokes the memory in my head as opposed to me just watching it, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: on a video.
2: I should mention, too, I, I, didn't, uh, I don't get into enough of this on, on my shows, and I feel like I should. Is The uh, the opening credits are a series of paintings Mm-hmm. Uh, and of of this woman on adventure, and they're really beautiful. I don't know if I think they were done. They must have been done originally for the, the movie, but they're really beautiful. I, I can't. I don't know enough about fine art to be able to tell you what kind of style they necessarily represent. They look a little Van Goghish to me in some sense, although I guess people that know art a lot better are probably screaming it doesn't look anything like Van Gogh. But uh, but they're really beautiful, and again, they set the tone. Uh, for this kind of blousy European adventure, which again, it's that's something that that Lean just was able to capture, and apparently he fell in love with this city. They were, um, I was doing again some reading about this and that. That when he, when you know, when this movie was being prepared, Venice didn't want him there. They didn't want a movie there because they thought it would ruin tourism. You know, because they were like, well, no, we want people to be out spending money, and we don't want to have a big film crew telling mm-hmm. people they can't go here or can't go there. But apparently they either they, they spent some money uh, restoring some old buildings, like on the film's budget, to help uh, grease the path. Mm-hmm. And David Lean fell in love with this city, and he lived there the, for the rest of his life, at least part of the year. It just became wow. his second home. Which is, again, that's got to be such an amazing thing. I remember reading something similar about um, Martin Balsam, the great character, Martin Balsam. And apparently, at some point in their early '50s, uh, he did a movie in Italy and fell in love with Italy so completely that he basically just moved there. And if you look <laughs> at his if you look at his filmography, you'll see all these American films, and then there's like six Italian films all in a row. And you're like, okay, he just decided to stay there, and he's like, I might as well just make movies while I'm here. So <laughs> David, David Lean, you know, I, that you have to figure that's partly why he said it's one of his his personal favorite, is that. This became part of his life. You know, living over there in, in in Venice. I mean, I can imagine it's kind of like if you shot a movie and you met, you know, your significant other. Of course, you're going to have a you know a special relationship with this movie because it gave you something to your own life. Not just came up. you, you didn't just come up with a great movie.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah. I wanted to say something else about um, the movie. The costumes in this movie were beautiful. They were not super over the top, but um, the Mrs. Yeagers. Wardrobe was just beautiful. Every time I see it, I was like, oh man, I wish I looked like that so I could wear that outfit. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, everything looks great in this movie. But we haven't talked about the little boy yet. No, the relationship with him was so lovely. It was so sweet. At first, you know, she was annoyed by him because he was bothering her all the time. But, you know, that's what also made me think that, you know, she was a spinster and didn't, although she worked at a school, she was a school secretary, you would have thought she would have come in contact with kids. But I I don't know. It was just like, it was almost like he became kind of her, you know, surrogate son
2: while she was there yeah right we should yeah we should mention gaetano altiero is the actor's name he plays maro this little barefoot kid who is constantly bumming uh you know money off of her for different trips and he and he escorts her around town yeah I mean, he's a local he's even bumming cigarettes off C- her. the cigarettes, great scene yeah. where he has for cigarettes and she's she's and he what is what does he say i think he says it's for his mother or, or, somebody, his
1: dad, yes, or, or his dad, yes, or his dad,
2: and she's like, "Oh, come on!" And she's not buying that. And then we see him sitting there smoking the cigarette. Yeah, she gave so it to him. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Those, all those scenes are really beautiful. I don't. I generally don't like small children in movies because yeah, I'm to with me you. The, yeah the movie becomes about small children. But but a um, he serves a specific purpose. I mean, he's her literal her literal guide around the city, and also David Lean. And the um, the screenwriters don't make him a cutesy kid. You know, they don't give him cute lines. He's very natural. He's a right. you know, you, he seems like a. I mean, I'm sure the kid really lived in that area. But whether he was a professional actor before this, I don't know. But he seems very natural. He does. He's not mannered. He doesn't. He doesn't say. He doesn't say things that only an adult would say. That a screenwriter makes a little kid say. He actually right. sounds like a little kid. You know, who is. Certainly more sophisticated than little kids in probably around here but and he 's used to dealing with tourists he 's using to sort of he 's got the patter down and he I think he sort of pegs her as maybe an easy mark in the beginning, but then he again it really th- does he does think to like her, and there 's the, of course the famous scene where she falls. Um, ass over tea kettle into the water <laughs> as she 's filming, and it 's a great moment because it 's all one shot as she 's backing up, backing up, backing mm-hmm. up, and she doesn 't see that she 's about to fall and just as she starts to pivot off the edge, he grabs the camera out of her hand so the camera doesn 't get ruined it 's a great yeah. <laughs> I wonder how many takes it took to get that it 's a, a great shot mm-hmm. yeah. I read about that uh, that she came down with uh, conjunctivitis. After that scene, and it uh, bothered her the rest of her life because apparently the water in Venice is not always the most clean. And in fact, there's a shot early on we see of somebody dumping a bucket out of their window into the water, which is again, uh, I feel like David Lean is saying, you know, we're going to give you some of a realistic view of the city. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not uh, Disneyland here. It's a real place. No, <laughs> right. My mom has uh, been to Venice, and she said uh, the canals really smell. So. Oof. How do people stand it? I don't understand. How can how can you stand to live there if it's that dirty <laughs> all the time? I guess you just get used to it. I mean, I don't know if
1: it is now. I don't think she hasn't been in like twenty years or so. But
2: yeah, I guess you just get used to it. I guess so. What do you think of the 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 ugly Americans? There, I, I always is it just to show that Jane is uh, in contrast uh, a little more sophisticated and a little more. You know, she's not your typical ugly American as opposed to those two. I mean, they seem nice enough, the wife especially, but they're just being, every time we see them, all we're hearing about is Heather being rocketed from thing to thing. They even have a line about where we have an hour of free time and you're like it's your vacation how, how have you <laughs> scheduled things Did you only have an hour of free? they they talk about themselves like they're children you know we've been given an hour of free time to do whatever we want well it's your vacation macallanys what are you doing like what do you make of them
1: they um i have run into people like that on my trips uh to england so they do exist that's not necessarily just a, a cliche um i think i think jane had a little good effect on him on them though especially um the husband because he at one point was complaining about how he didn't want to see any more art, that he hated art. And then somehow (laughs) he went to a museum and looked at it, and then he was all for it. That's all he wanted to see, it seemed like, was art after that. So maybe she rubbed off on him? I, I don't know.
2: Yeah, they were annoying, but, you know, they exist. Right. And she's nice to them. Like, she never condescends to them or anything like that. She's always very sweet to them. I mean, she, again, she's sweet to everybody. Uh, I love the scene with her and the uh, Mrs. Jaeger where she reveals that she thinks that her, well, not she thinks she knows that her husband is cheating on her. That's a nice scene of, of them in the bar together of, mm-hmm. of Mrs. Jaeger drowning her sorrows and confiding in, in Jane. And I like that in, the, in that moment, Jane is the one who is the sounding board. That's kind of, it's a nice flip because she's, to this point she's been the lonely one and kind of looking for human connection and now she's there for mrs yeager to reach out to i think that's a really sweet scene i mean that that relationship isn't very explored uh this is a pretty short movie it's only about 95 or 100 minutes so they don't have a lot of time for the yeagers and the the darren mcgavin character you know again he seems more like a real cad kind of guy but i think that's I, i really like that scene i think it's very I don't know. I just think it's very sweet.
1: Yeah, they don't. They really don't spend too much time with him, other than just a cursory. You know, they're the the attractive couple. He's the artist. She does whatever he wants, or you know, she's the wife. Seems to be at the beck and call of McGavin. Has to do whatever he says. Go, go make me a drink. Let's go. Blah blah blah. And so, but that's we don't really get to see too much of them. Just the uh, just the outside, and so. I don't know. I I think if we would have explored them more, the movie wouldn't have been about Jane as much. Right. And right. so I'm okay with it. I don't like oh. seeing Darren McGavin as a jerk.
2: No, no, I know <laughs> the, the dad, the dad from Christmas Story, or the again Night Stalker. I don't want to. I don't want to see that. Yeah, it's a uh, what it must have been like to be able to be an artist. And have enough money to go live in Venice, <laughs> you know? Like, what a life that's got to be! Like he, we never see him really doing much of anything. He's just, he's just kind of lounging around, and getting a tan. And I'm like, what a life, you know? Like give me, give me some of that. Just where you yeah. can live in this nice villa and just kind of hang out, and just relax, and have dinner every night. It's you know, it's like it's all, it's all good. Like, ugh, this feels like a science fiction film. <laughs> I really do think this is again. It's a beautiful looking movie. Again, I mentioned it's by jack hilliard and it's weird it's like this movie's part of the criterion collection Mm. and you can't argue that any movie that's part of the criterion collection is sort of underappreciated because it's part of the criterion collection that's the whole point of you know is appreciating movies but again this this doesn't this is not a movie that people mention as one of hepburn's great movies necessarily or david leans i mean i guess when when you've got a guy who's made Bridge in the River Kwai and and the you know a Passage to India and uh, Lawrence of Arabia, a small film like this just doesn't seem to stack up. Nevertheless, it was nominated for David Lean got nominated for an Oscar and Hepburn got nominated for an Oscar. Uh, it's based on a play called The Time of the Cuckoo by Arthur Lawrence, which ran on Broadway in 1952. Catherine Hepburn didn't star; they put her in it because she was kind of a a bigger obviously she was a big name still in 1952 yeah. um but yeah you know, i said it's it's every time i watch it again it sort of puts me in that place it makes me want to i'm not a big traveler certainly not now but um i have i don't know sarah i don't know about you but like have you ever had a trip where you have that tension of like you know you have to go back but some part of you doesn't want to some part of you thinks you know could i make this work while i'm here could i could i just stay here where I am. Uh, every time I go to England, I feel that way. It's like, why do I have to go back? Yes. What parts? So what, parts, of, what, parts of, what parts of what parts of England have you been to? Uh,
1: well, my mom is English, and so um, we have family there. So mainly the south. Um, I have an aunt uh, who lives in Hastings now, but I travel all over. I have been out to Scotland, the north. Uh, my favorite place in England is in the north. Like York is my favorite city. It's just gorgeous up there. People are really friendly. It's, it's beautiful. So, yeah, I never want to come home.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've had a couple of times where I was, well, I know I have to because my, my life is back home and my job and my family. But it's like, boy, this is awfully, this is awfully nice. You know, I mean, and, and <laughs> that, that, that's always the way it is because most of the time when you're taking a trip, you're not at a job. So you know, any place seems nicer when you're not working. Of course, you know you can <laughs> just sort of true. lounge around and do what you want. I mean, the opening uh, that that scene where uh, Signora Fiorini opens those uh, those like folded doors mm-hmm. to the to the veranda, and it's beautiful. Sun- it's beautifully sunny out. And She's pouring the wine. And she has the drink with with Jane, and again, and the sun is shining. Everything just looks gorgeous. You're like, yeah. How could and the the look on Heppard's face is. Her, I I'm mean, first she had, she had a great smile. She mm-hmm. had that, that giant mouth that was like the, half the size of her head. But I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, you know what I mean? It's like she just was, you know, her face just lit up when she would smile. And when you see that scene uh, and it's just, you're like, yeah, I, don't, I just want to stay here. And in, in some weird way, like some of my favorite movies are movies where I would love to see a TV series of it. And what I mean is like just more adventures in this place. Not necessarily Mm -hmm. these characters, but I would love to, like, I could have been totally down for a summertime TV series where it's just, let's have these different characters tooling around Venice, you know, like something like that. That's how much David Lean sets me in this place. And it's like, to me, again, it's it's an amazing ability of, of him to be able to do that because I've, you know, I've been, I've seen a billion movies and very few places. I've been you know, we've seen movies where you're as you talk about going to fictional planets. <laughs> and to me they're they're not as they're not as entrancing as this place that's real. It's just it's just stunning.
1: I wanna go back real quick and touch on what you said you thought that this movie was um if it's on criterion it's not really underappreciated, but I say that it is because I know people that collect Criterion all the time and they've never seen it. And it's sitting right there on Filmstruck for you to just press the button, but, you know, it's, I guess there's so many other things that people want to see on there that it just don't dig deep enough, and so that's why I wrote about it, because I was like, come on, people. You, you know, I know it seems like, you know, David Lee, 1955, Hepburn, what? Romance, huh? But no, it's, you need to see it. It's beautiful. it It's an amazing movie.
2: Yeah, the IMDb logline is simply, A lonely American woman unexpectedly finds romance in Venice, Italy. That doesn't sound terribly compelling, you know? But no, I mean, it you kind can't, of boring. You, yeah. yeah, but I mean, you know, you can't convey that. You can't convey the visuals of this movie, and it took me the, it took me the, the for the longest time, and, I will make the connect. I think we might have even talked about this when you were on uh, the first time to talk about uh, that Mario Bava movie where it took – it wasn't until I started seeing Italian horror films that I got an appreciation for movies that were more about setting a mood than they were about plot. And I'll, I'll reiterate it again in case I didn't say it, but it was like the first couple times I saw Italian horror movies, which I hadn't seen any, I hadn't seen a single Italian horror movie until the 90s. And the first mm-hmm. couple I saw, it really threw me because they didn't explain what happened. Things just, things just happened, you know, um, like a movie, the, the, what's the movie, oh, Demons, where, it's, <laughs> yes. you know, I can't believe I'm bringing up. Demons during our talk of summertime. There is, there is a connection, but it's like in *Demons*, a bunch of zombies attack inside of a mall, and that's it—that's your movie. And for the longest time, I was like, "But wait, why are there zombies? Where did they come from? Why?" But I don't, and it and it frustrated me because I wanted to know the the, the whys and the hows. And it took me a couple of Italian films, horror films, to really say, oh, I get it now. That's not what this is about. This movie is not about why are there zombies. It's about there are zombies. Let's watch these characters react to this crazy situation. That's what the movie's (laughs) about. And Italian horror is really good at that. And it's good at setting a mood, a feeling, a sense of dread or horror or whatever. And I realized that even though summertime – and we're back to summertime – even though summertime – you know, has a lot of characters going through their paces, and it certainly does have central conceit, which is: will Jane fall for this guy? Will she stay with him? Will she not? It really so much is, and I'm repeating myself, but I can't help it because again, I'm watching the movie's playing out in front of me as I'm as I'm talking here. It really is David Lean just sort of dropping you in the middle of this beautiful place, one of the most beautiful places on earth, and just letting things envelop around you. I mean, to me, I feel like warmer. Watching this movie, just watch it play out in front of me. I can feel the sunshine hitting these people and hitting me. And it makes me recall times where I have felt that all-enveloping warmth. And, again, it, while there certainly is a lot of plot going on here, it's it's half as much about the plot as it is putting you in this place. And mm-hmm. I can see why David Lean, I mean, you know, David Lean, one of the greatest guys ever to do it, clearly. But he see we see why well, like he was so good at that. I mean, he was good at that at Bridge in the River Kwai and he was good at that in Lawrence of Arabia. But this is so much simpler than all that. And I guess people can mistake that for like not as good or not as sophisticated because obviously Lawrence of Arabia is three hours and it's got all this historical stuff and it's. Uh, but this is this is him in a in a smaller key, and it reminds me a bit of the Before series. Uh, The the Uh Richard Linklater movies And Before Sunrise is my all time favorite movie And it has that similar feel to it Of just putting you in that location And as we're kind of going on here I'm realizing that's like You kind of just have to watch this movie I mean I wanted to talk about it And I wanted to talk to you about it um, Because you write for Talk Film Society And write for other things And I like your movie writing But I realize it's like It is kind of like we should just shut up and let people, you should go to Filmstruck and just watch the movie because it's it's so much a visual experience.
1: It is. And I want to say that just because it's a smaller movie doesn't mean that David Lean, you know, it's not an epic, but he's got some really great shots going on. There's one where she's in the piazza and uh, Renato is walking in, but you don't see him for a long time because it's a really wide shot. She's, you know... At the bottom of the screen, and there's all kinds of things happening in the background. But then all of a sudden, you know, depending on when you watch it and how soon you notice it, you know, he's been in the shot for a lot of it. He's just walking and making his way through the tables
2: and everything. So he lets, you know, he's, there, there's some really good stuff going on here. I love the scene of her watching when she's in the, the cafe, and she's watching. She's just people watching. Mm-hmm. And there's that thing of the two American women that walk by. And as they walk by, you see the two Italian men take notice of them and yes. kind of give each other the signal like, oh, these two like and we follow and not in a not in an ominous way, but it's clearly like the the women are on the make and the guys are on the make. Yeah. And, and she's sort of shocked by sort of the openness of it. They, they're clearly looking for action and they think they've probably found it. And you can almost see the look on her face of like, wow, these people are very kind of open with their desires. And this is, she's someone who is not. That scene of where um, where she's in the cafe again, where uh, she knows she's being watched by Renato. And she tries to... She tries to hide her reaction by putting on the sunglasses and then (laughs) calling the waiter so she can get out of there fast. And she just completely embarrasses herself. I love that. That, That's such a terrific (laughs) scene. And again, Hepburn, one of the most confident actors to ever be on screen – so perfectly captures that feeling of she's just out of her depth. I relate to her so much because
1: um, I'm always awkward and, you know, I didn't have dates in high school or whatever. And so when I went to England for the first time, I was 18, I just graduated high school and I went to live there for several months. And I felt that same way. I was really awkward. I didn't know how to talk to, I was going to say boys, men. You know, it was (laughs) just, I just didn't know how to function. My aunt and uncle had a pub and so we lived above the pub, so I was, you know, I had to be downstairs. I had to help out. I had to be social, and it was just, uh, you know, it was just not natural for me, so even, you know, when I watched this uh, last week, um, the movie last week, I thought, I still feel that. I know exactly what this character feels like, and so she does a really good job. I don't know if the actress had never felt that way, but she does a, a great job of showing, uh, you know, how awkward it can be.
2: Yeah, yeah. So the, she's able to convey that see, That sense of loneliness is really palpable. I love, again, Eileen has all those... I love the, uh, the... It's not a montage, but that series of shots he does of just... Uh, Venetians uh, living their lives and there's like the guys in the gondolas asleep because they're off duty and there's a woman who's like running the the she runs like a little flower scene she's asleep and then they have a shot of a cat just sitting just (laughs) lounging on a chair I love that this is kind of low-key it's like everything's really slow here you know everybody's probably eating dinner around 10 o'clock at night it's just this very kind of low-key thing and it's it's really again very beautiful I'm. Pop culture-wise, the only thing I can think of or that I noticed where this movie had some sort of notation outside of its own existence is um, there's a PBS show called The Midwife, uh, which was a show show that we watched. There's an episode where the girls uh, go to see Summertime. They go to watch they go to see that movie because that's when the, the show was set is in the mid fifties and they go to see it so I love the idea that uh you know uh it's, it's somebody on there was is a big fan of it and liked it enough to want to uh, put it in their in their t v show that's amazing it's a really beautiful movie um I know that the you know, talking about a movie that you really just need to watch is, is sort of a fool's errand, but I, I wanted to give this movie just extra attention. I mean, that's how much I love it. And it's, it's not a movie that um, probably if I had seen it 18 or 19, I would have appreciated, you know, I would have been like, ah, it's an old spinster lady or who cares. But now that I'm older and supposedly wiser, uh, it, it really holds a lot of resonance for me. And again, it's just, it's, it's, it's a beautiful journey. It's one I, I, I like to make, um, every so often to watch it. The poster is beautiful. I don't talk enough about posters on the show. The poster of her and uh, and Rosano Brazzi in this little circular design is beautiful. It's just like a really gorgeous image. The thing is just beautiful from stem to stern and so and as Sarah mentioned it's on Filmstruck um, which is a, 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 a um, channel service it's like, it's like a Netflix stuff you can get it it's absolutely worthwhile it's a beautiful movie you can get it also probably from your local library and stuff so if you have if any of you out there haven't seen this movie go check it out it's really a great piece uh, a great collab- collaboration between a huge star and a huge director it's the only time they ever worked together but uh, and uh, from what I read they said he really enjoyed working with Catherine Hepburn. Uh, it's and it's just a beautiful movie, Summertime. So uh, I guess that's really going to do it for this. Um, Sarah, again, thank you so much. I always enjoy talking to you. And even though, um, again, this is a movie that you really more just need to experience, I'm, I'm very appreciative that you came on to talk to me about it.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I was surprised when you uh, responded to my tweet. You were like, oh my God. So it was nice that there was another fan out there.
2: Yeah, it's a good set. It's a beautiful movie. I love it when it's a movie that I feel like I'm the only one that's seen, which is ridiculous. It's a Catherine Hepper movie directed (laughs) by David Lee, part of the Criterion Collection, but I just never see anybody mention it. And so when when you saw it, I was like, oh, this is perfect. So uh, again, thanks everybody for listening. Sarah, where can people find your, your writings on the internet?
1: Um, well, I have been on a hiatus lately. I'm sorry, everyone. Uh, I had to move to a new state, um, and yeah, my life has been topsy turvy. But my writing is still there on uh, talkfilmsociety.com,
2: and I will be getting back to that very, very soon. Very cool, and we'll have the link in the show notes. Do you still write stuff for Letterboxd?
1: Um, I do occasionally, not um, so much now as concentrating on writing uh, for TalkFilm, but occasionally, also if I, especially if a movie makes me uh, either angry. Or something that I really <laughs> love I might write something But uh, I'm still there Not as uh, active as I usually
2: am Okay, gotcha um, Of course, you can find back episodes of our show On the web on the uh, network site Which is finewaterpodcast.com And we're always talking movies on Twitter Which is at uh, filmandwaterpod So thanks everybody for listening And until next week, that's a wrap
0: Hey, excuse me? I beg your pardon? Hold on, to this a sec, would you please? Yes, certainly. In a little closer, if you don't mind. Up a little higher. Thanks. Now, still. This is Venice we're coming into, isn't it? Yes, we'll be there in about two minutes now. This is the lagoon. Oh, boy. Got to get a shot of this. Oh, golly. Fifth one of these I've used already. Haven't even got there yet. Oh. Max lot. Is this your first visit to Venice? Yes. Is it yours? No, I've been here several times. Several times? You have? Yes. I hope you're going to like it. Like it? I've got to. I've come such a long way. I've saved up such a long time for this trip. Do you think I maybe won't like it? <laughs> I'm sure you will. But not everybody likes it in the same way. Some people find it too quiet, some people find it too noisy. And it is very noisy. But the majority find it very beautiful. Yeah, well, I guess I'll settle with the majority.